Well, I did not get through my sermon last week. So I'm going to preach it again. Everybody, if you would, take your Bibles, turn to John 14. And by the way, I prepared a sermon for this week too, so I'm going to preach it as well. We are looking at Jesus' words regarding the Holy Spirit. And this is what is classically known. Sorry, I have fumble fingers this morning. There you go. This is what is classically known as the Upper Room Discourse. This is um, a collection of teaching that is believed to have occurred in conjunction with the supper that Jesus shared with His disciples before His betrayal and arrest, and trial, and crucifixion. And you find what he is doing here is he is unfolding some of the most profound and loving teaching that he has ever shared with these men. Judas has already left and has gone to retrieve soldiers in order to betray him for money. And in this time, Jesus uses every opportunity to encourage and reinforce the presence of God to help them. Some things that we've seen so far. In chapter 14, and we are going to do some back and forth between Holy Spirit um, examination of what He says, and also the deep unfolding of what He shows as far as what it is to love. And I think the reason why we need to do that is because Jesus intertwined it in what everything he was telling them. So we have to unfold it as he does. I've got a lot of time to preach. It's like an answer to my prayers, man. Don't everybody turn around and look at the clock. That's rude. I'll tell you what time it is. But I want to start in chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, You will keep my commandments. Now, he didn't say the Ten Commandments. He said his commandments. And I think it's important for us to think about who he is speaking to. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They are already saved individuals. But he is letting them know, what is it to have a love relationship with me? What does that look like? Any love relationship is based on trust. All of it is. There are some of us who may say, you know what? I've trusted Christ as my Savior. But I don't know if I trust Him with this problem I'm going through. Well, I don't know if I'm going to ask His counsel on how to deal with this other person or... I don't know that I'm going to really seek for him to get involved in me going down to the boat. Because he'll tell you not to go to the boat. That's the reason why. But we find this strange, we are strange people. And for some reason, we will trust Christ with our eternal destiny. That which we in totality cannot see yet. I mean, isn't that the case when you believe in Christ? You've trusted Him to save you, right? That means you're not going to the lake of fire. You ever seen the lake of fire? 
No, but you trust him to save you from it. Were you there when he died on the cross? No, but you trust that he did it, right? Have you ever seen his blood? But you trust that it cleanses you whiter than snow? Everybody look out the window. Right? We weren't there to witness the resurrection, but he appeared to over 500 people at one time. So we're taking God's word on the situation. But somehow, even though we have leaned into him, we have a conviction about him securing our eternity. There's something going on in your life right now that he can't handle. Does that make any sense? Well, when we put it that way, no. Paul understood this. Paul said if he's given us his son, why would he not also with him freely give us all things? Now that's a profound statement. Why is Jesus having to tell his disciples what it is to love him? Because they are getting ready to experience something that is cataclysmic in their thinking their savior right before their eyes who they've walked with spent time with eaten meals with heard the same teaching over and over and over witnessed healings the blind made to see sick made well dead raised and now he is going to be snatched away gone no longer there to physically rely on now this isn't any different from us we feel a lot better about being able to physically rely on something than we do when it's not there and then we get mocked for taking a step of faith like we're traveling a sidewalk and all of a sudden the concrete ran out and we're supposed to keep going forward faith is never blind it never is Well, let me take that back. The only time that it would be blind is if somebody is trying to hope for something that they have not read the Word in order to be educated on. That would be more dumb faith than blind faith. It would be more of an ignorant faith. He is getting ready to be taken away from them in a violent fashion. So much so that Peter becomes Zorro in two seconds. Right? Ears coming off. Which shows you either he was a really great aim or he was not a good aim at all, right? It's one or the other. And it's completely appalling to Jesus. This this is ridiculous. Put your sword away. And then he heals the guy right in front of everybody which should have said something, right? No, they still arrested him and took him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And watch what he says. I will ask the Father... So notice it's Jesus making a personal request. I'm going to ask the Father. And He will give you another helper. A helper of the same sort. Now remember, we talked a lot about this word helper last week. It means one who is called alongside. Some translations say comforter. Some translations say advocate. But what it means is someone that is sticking close to you through thick and thin, they don't go anywhere. They are your friend always. And notice what it says here. It's another helper. The Spirit is going to be a helper like Jesus. In the same fashion as Jesus. That He may be with you how long? Forever. When He comes 
and He is with you. He does not go away. If you are a believer in Christ, at the moment that you heard the Gospel and responded in faith, I am convinced that that is true, immediately at that moment, the Holy Spirit took up residence within you. Well, I didn't feel any different. It's okay. He's God. And we either take the Word for what it says or we don't. We either believe that it's true or we don't. So because of where we are in time and history, and we are in an extremely privileged position in life, I know with everything going on in the world, it may not seem like it, but I promise you this, one of the reasons why churches by and large do not have power in their ministry to influence culture is because they have dismissed the Holy Spirit by and large. I mean, think about it. If you wouldn't have gone through this passage, would you ever consider that the Holy Spirit is a helper, a friend, a comforter like that of Jesus on equal playing ground with Jesus and yet is with you always and will never go away? One of the most tragic things I can think about is that the Holy Spirit may reside in us and yet we do not know Him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine every time that you went somewhere, somebody went with you? But when somebody came up and said, hey, who's that with you? You're like, I don't know. But they won't stop following me. Maybe they're trying to get your attention. Maybe they're waiting for the opportunity to be acknowledged. Maybe they're sitting there as a powerhouse waiting to be accessed simply by invitation into your life. Just because you have the indwelling of the Spirit doesn't mean that you have the filling of the Spirit. They are two separate things. And one of the reasons why we may find ourselves nose against the grindstone, unable to bear along with people, every time we try to attempt ministry, we find that it is a fruitless ministry, is because even though the Holy Spirit resides in us, we are very much unplugged from inviting Him to be a vital role as He is promised to be by the lips of Christ Himself in every one of our lives. Guys, He's not going away. So you either live your life inviting Him to be active, or you live your life shutting, pay attention, God out. Holy Spirit is very much God. He is God. Imagine trying a tricycle with only two wheels. Doesn't sound very good, does it? A lot of our lives sound like that in eternity right now. Because we have taken the third vital wheel of the Holy Spirit and said, hmm, I think I can do without you. Notice verse 17, Jesus clarifies, that is the Spirit of what? Truth. Guys, pay attention to this. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not a reasoning. Truth is not mental gymnastics that you need to work through. Truth is a person. Truth is a person. That person is God. All that proceeds from God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way. Oh, there it is. The truth and the what? and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. So He is truth. Now what Jesus is telling them is, is also the Spirit 
is truth. Why is that? Because the Spirit is God. And notice what it says about Him. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. Stop. The world does not see Him or know Him, therefore they cannot receive Him. In fact, this is what keeps a lot of us from calling upon the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives. We're scared to death of what the world might think when the world has no capacity to understand the Holy Spirit to begin with. Make no mistake, the world has its dabblings in spiritual things. Our world is highly spiritual. Horoscopes, tarot cards, Ouija boards, crystal balls. They're highly spiritual, right? Well, I'm claiming it. Today is my day. That's got nothing to do with Jesus. I'm claiming it in the name of the Lord. Well, the Lord doesn't see it that way, so stop it. We try to be spiritual, but the way that the world pushes spirituality is thinking positive. If you're not thinking according to truth, you can't think positive because you're trying to think positive in a fallen world where Satan has orchestrated everything to lead to a path of godlessness. This is why Christians are told to set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated. Why not on the things below? Because it's depressing. The weather's not helping, is it? Sometimes you might sit there at your kitchen table and think, good grief, I feel depressed. It's because you live on earth. That's why. Anybody ever notice the news never tells you anything good anymore? I never hear anything good anymore. Why is it? Because there's nothing good here. There's nothing good here. And the reason why we're so let down often is because we've banked our hopes on a system that Satan has sewn together in order to lead us away from the Master. Hope is only found in Him. Why? Because truth is a person. I don't know about you, but I'm told to rejoice in the truth. Yes? So I rejoice in a person. And I can rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ just as equally as I can rejoice in God the Father, just as equally as I can rejoice in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're all God. They're all God. So notice, truth is a person. The world cannot see, know Him, they don't receive Him. Do me a favor, put your finger here, turn to 1 Corinthians 2.14. Turn over to the right a little bit. Put your finger here. 1 Corinthians 2.14. You may be looking at the notes in your handout and say, why are they so skinny? You usually give us 40 pages of stuff to look at every week. reason is is because I'm still finishing up from last week. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Paul is talking about three types of people. The lost person, the saved person, and in the saved person there are two types of people. The carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. Those Christians who are living for self and need to be told that in order to love Jesus, they need to keep His commandments. And those who are loving Jesus, and that's displayed because they valued what He has had to say greater than all the opinions and options and choices that they've made in their life. But what I want to draw focus on is the lost person. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But a natural man does not accept the things of the who? 
Spirit of God. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Is Leland here today? Is Leland here? Leland went for a job interview at a place to help with social work in Baraboo. This is an interesting story. And they began talking to him about how he would work with residents. And he began explaining to them about the Bible and how it's true and how the Lord Jesus Christ has died for people. And it sounded like he had a little Billy Graham evangelistic campaign right there in the middle of this office. And he said he looked down at the lady's handwriting on his application and she wrote in huge capital letters at the top of his application, faith. And he has not received any word. He will not get this job because he has a conviction that what God says is true. Why is that? Because the world can't accept the things of the Spirit of God. When you walk in and say, hey, guess what guys? We have the truth. <laughs> Who are you to say you have the truth? <laughs> That's usually a college professor that talks that way. Well, all truth is relative. I agree. Give me the money in your wallet. Well, you can't do that. Yes, I can't. It's good for me. It's true for me. It's not true for you. It's true for me. Serve me. Love me. Me, 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 me. So you can act just like the world and turn it around on them. But when you deal with something as solid as do not steal... Now you have a standard of truth to live by. The world can't handle the Spirit of God. Look what it says here. Gives you the reason. For they are foolishness to Him. And He cannot understand them. He does not have a grasp of the significance of the Spirit of God is what it is. And notice what it says. Because they are spiritually appraised they are spiritually discerned they are spiritually evaluated the things of the spirit of god make no sense to this world so let's not be surprised when they think that we are strange or weird because we believe it it's okay everybody remember our citizenship isn't here this isn't where you live when you became a believer in christ your visa was stamped for somewhere else you have a passport. And we are all waiting for that trip. But we shouldn't be surprised when things aren't clicking here. Why? We don't belong here. We are the square pegs in the round hole. Why? Because we're people of F-A-I-T-H. Weirdos. No, we actually believe that there is a God who has created all things and He has spoken in this entire world is morally accountable to Him. And because we cannot save ourselves, we know that there is a Savior who has saved us and died when He didn't deserve to, but because He lives, we live with Him also. So the Spirit of God is a foreign concept. And get, get this, guys. It's not that the world's unspiritual. They're very spiritual. It's just all demonic. All of it is. So now watch what happens here. They can't receive Him because they do not see. They do not know Him. But you know Him because He abides. Everybody pay attention to that word abides. It's the word means remain. Sticks with. Doesn't go anywhere. Abides with you. Notice that. Presently speaking to the disciples. And will be future tense in you what does that tell you it tells you there's going to be a change 
in relationship. God is going to change the way that He works with people. When God changes the way that He works with people, that is what is called a dispensational shift. He is shifting the way that He interacts with human beings. Right now, guys, the Spirit is with you. But there's going to come a time when the Spirit will be in you. Grasp this. When they walked with Jesus, they were with Him. But there's getting ready to come a day in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will be in them. This is why we are privileged to live in this age. We are still part of this church age where the Holy Spirit indwells. Not just with, indwells. So now watch what happens next. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you alone. You have no reason to feel alone. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, we're going to go through this quickly because I want you to see the interchange that he has here and the emphasis on what it is to love. Watch this. Verse 19, after a while, the world will no longer see me. But you, and I think the word will there in the italics is probably unnecessary, but you see me. Because I live, you will live also. In other words, they don't have a concept of understanding the foggiest idea of the resurrection. In fact, when Mary comes to them after she sees the resurrected Christ, she said, I've seen the Lord, I've seen the Lord. They say, we don't believe it. And then I love it. Mark chapter 16, Jesus shows up. He doesn't use the door. But he shows up and he goes, greetings. Which is the way that a resurrected person wants to talk to people who are not. And then the scripture says, and he rebuked them for their unbelief. He rebuked them because they didn't believe that he would be raised, even though he told them. The Son of Man will be betrayed in the hands of sinners and will be killed. And in three days He will rise again. He told them. But what was the problem? They didn't believe His Word. So Jesus rebuked them. Notice He's telling them here, because I live, you will live also. Verse 20, in that day, when that happens, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. And I in you. And you say, what? Jesus is in His Father. In other words, you cannot be all about the Father and not be about the Son. They're inseparable. This is where we get this whole, well, I'm a spiritual person. Yes, you are, and you need Christ. Well, I believe that there's a higher being. Yes, there is. His name is Yahweh. He has revealed Himself through His Son. This idea of separating father and son from one another is impossible, but notice, it's done with scalpel-like precision by the enemy to try to divide up the Trinity. So you can still subscribe to a spirituality, but not have to come to the point where you're dealing with your sin because you can't handle your sin and acknowledging a Savior. Satan is crafty, guys. He doesn't want anybody to understand this. So notice that I am in the Father. Notice what he says after that. You and me, 
So we will be in Christ. Hold on to that one in a couple of weeks. You and me, and I and where? Okay, so you and me and I and you. What? Yeah, together, connected, inseparable. In that day, when it happens, when the Holy Spirit comes, and He is no longer with you, but now in you, guess what? You get Jesus too. Yay! Exactly! Guys, we have a lot more than what you think. Last week I used the example of a guy that was looking at a huge field, thinking, how in the world am I going to plow this field? And a tractor was behind him. Laverne Davis sent me a picture of him standing in front of a tractor looking out at a field. <laughs> I thought you couldn't have pictured that any better. And he looks confused as all get out too. But that's normal, so... Verse 21, now watch this. He who has my commandments, do you have his commandments? And let's just real quick, what probably primarily are we talking about? Let me tell you what we're talking about. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is how Jesus kicks this whole teaching off. So when he starts throwing up commands, 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 love is the overarching chief end in doing it in such a way as to reflect how Jesus loves us. Good morning, Laverne. We just got done talking about you. Talking about your picture, looking at the field and the tractor behind you. Is a sight. I'll have to show it to you next week. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them. Notice, not just have them, keep them. The idea is preserving them or guarding them. Is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be, now watch this, notice it's contingent. Pay attention, guys. Does God love the world? John 3.16, we're all about it, right? God loves the world, gave his son, whoever believes in him will not perish, has eternal life. We're all about it. But watch this. We're talking about taking steps into something deeper. Okay? If you have His commandments and you keep them, that's the one who loves me. And He who loves me, how do you love Christ? By doing what? Keeping His commandments. Alright? Now watch this. Will be loved, future tense, by my Father. And I will love Him. Everybody see how you're just getting a whole bunch of love right now? I love Jesus, and in order to demonstrate that, I want to obey Him. Man, the world doesn't tell you that today, does it? Love freely. Free love. Love is all you need. Lennon and McCartney needed Jesus, man. They do. Because notice, Jesus is saying, if you want to know what it is to truly love me, it manifests itself in obedience. Kids, you love your parents. I guarantee you this, when you don't listen to them because you're too busy Facebooking yourself to death, they don't understand that you love them. They don't. Everything is more important than what they have to say. Guess what? The love relationship there is fractured. But I always love my kids. Nobody's doubting that. God always loves his kids. 
But we're talking about what it is to have intimacy with the Father and the Son. Now watch this. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Man, this is a great, great word. In fact, since Pastor Steve's here, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But in the Greek, it means revealing something clearly to the smallest detail. It is the idea of Jesus disclosing himself is moving beyond just the sensory capacity that we have to a deep cognitive comprehension of how much he loves you in other words by obeying him and demonstrating your love for him he starts to develop in and pour into you a greater love relationship with him and the father and by doing so he reveals to you things about himself that you never would have known otherwise had you been living on the surface at arm's length Christianity that's the idea so notice it is a beckoning for intimacy with him he always wants to go deeper guys always he always wants more of us notice the next part here I'm on the wrong page verse 22 Judas not Iscariot praise the Lord said to him Lord, what then has happened to you that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? What's this look like? And I love it. Because in classic form that we don't immediately understand, Jesus gives an answer. Notice what he says. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You just got clarification on what it is to keep his commandments. Holding fast to his word. And my Father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. In other words, the whole Trinity will be living with you. That's a lot of house guests and good ones. We will make our abode with you. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Stop for a second. Is Jesus lying? That's a trick question, isn't it? Uh, well, no, preacher. The one who does not love me does not keep my commandments. Are you having love issues with other people who are brothers and sisters in Christ right now? Guess what? You might be demonstrating the fact that you actually don't love Jesus. How can you say that I'm saved? Because Jesus said it. That's all we need. All we need is saying, you know what? I don't think that Jesus' commandments are the right way to go. Well, guess what? You don't value Him. And if you don't value Him, you are not in a love relationship with Him. Moving on. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine. It's not that just Jesus is speaking on His own. Look what He says. But the Father's who sent me. In other words, His message is the Father's message that He's simply relaying the message to you and I. Verse 25, These things I've spoken to you while abiding, while remaining with you. Now, something of interest that you might, you might think is interesting here. Verse 10, The Father is seen to be abiding. Verse 17, The Spirit is seen to be abiding. Verse 25, The Son is seen to be abiding. The Trinity is abiding with them. He's remaining with us. Are we remaining with Him? 
It's a good question to figure out. Now watch this, verse 26. But the Helper, there's the word again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And that doesn't seem any different from the fact that Jesus is going to go and ask of the Father and the Father will send him to you. He will teach you all things. Now, since the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, everything He is going to teach you is going to be in complete compliance with the truth. The Spirit is going to send you into directions to understand the truth. If you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you because you are a believer in Christ, do you realize that you can sit down with this Bible and you can humbly submit yourself to Him And when you come upon a passage that you don't understand, instead of grabbing for your local commentary to get somebody to answer the question for you, you instead bow yourself before the Lord and you meditate on that passage and you lift it up to Him and you display your heart and say, God, I sincerely want to know Your Word so I can do Your Word and wait for Him to teach you. This is what is called the illumination of of the Holy Spirit. Where a passage that you've read a hundred times before, for some reason, gave you a right hook Saturday morning. Because the Holy Spirit made it come alive before your eyes. Not that the words changed, but I'll tell you what a lot of it probably had to do with the sincerity of where we are in relation to the eternal God. Probably that attitude had to change. It had to get on its knees. It had to put its face on the ground. It had to lay out prostrate before the Lord. There's not enough of that going on today. There's not enough of humbling ourselves before God today. Sometimes we're confused. Why? Well, I just want to know what God's will is for our life. Well, do you really? Because what it takes in order to come to that realization is the Holy Spirit being invited to do that changing work and teaching us what the difference is notice what it says here as well and bring to your remembrance he won't just teach you things he's going to bring some things to your remembrance now think about what we know of the scriptures number one the scriptures of themselves are a demonstration of this fact of him bringing things to remembrance how in the world could matthew have recorded everything in the sermon on the mount as he did without the holy spirit bringing remembrance anybody was his typist sitting nearby Hey, dictate this for me. Here we go. No. It was the fact that it was passed around as an oral tradition. And in putting pen to paper, the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1, verse 21, carried men along so that they would document exactly what God wanted us to know. There's an example of bringing to remembrance. Another example, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the... And? And? Don't forget him. Teaching them to what? Observe all that I have commanded you. Did Jesus teach a lot? In fact, at the end of John, John says, if I would have wrote down everything that Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the books. So there's all kinds of things that he did that we don't know. Now that might be your first question in Theology 101 when you get into eternity. Uh, Jesus, what would you do that I didn't see? Might want to know that. I want to know that. But here's what we find. If what we need in order to disciple people is the truth of God's Word to engage them in a form of remembrance, 
The Holy Spirit's what brings that up. Have you ever been having a conversation with somebody and you can find that they're just striking out in their life? I mean, you listen to some of their stuff and you're like, good grief, this is awful. Somebody put my face in a meat grinder. This is terrible. Anybody ever had that? Just when you listen to me? Okay, thank you. And then all of a sudden you find that scriptures start coming to your mind. And you're able to start leading the conversation in a direction to where Jesus Christ has become the central focal point of what's really wrong in the situation. It's not that I needed more self-help classes. It's not that I needed to take more medicine. It's not that I needed to keep blaming my mom and dad for the way that they raised me. It was the fact that I have a sin problem that's come encounter with a truth problem and they're getting ready to collide and I can't handle the tension. And then you walk away from that conversation and you think, where in the world did all of that come from? Because all you did was open your mouth with the most sincere intentions always and next thing you know, all of this truth started coming out. Guys, it's the Holy Spirit. He didn't just teach you those things. He brought them to remembrance when you needed to give them out. How about this? This is interesting. Put your finger here. Turn back to Mark. Bringing to remembrance. I'm almost done with Sermon 1. Mark 13. Mark chapter 13. Sorry, I should have told you the chapter there. Mark 13. Look at verse 11. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Now, I've actually heard some pastors use this as an excuse to not prepare. Which if this is the way they interpret that verse, you don't need to go to their church. But notice, in a persecution situation, when you are called to give an account, if you ever want to see how this unfolds, you just read about the life of the Apostle Paul to the end of Acts. And he stood before kings, and he testified to who Jesus Christ was for all of the world to hear, boldly but humbly. That was the Holy Spirit speaking through him, not him. It was when it came time to say what needed to be said, regardless of how bad the circumstances were around you, truth needed to be brought to the surface. People needed to be held accountable. Someone needed to hear about the mercy of Jesus Christ in offering salvation freely. Guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to use every one of us in order to do that. Every person. The question is, is whether or not we are willing to submit ourselves for such use. Here's the end of Sermon 1. Let's turn over to John 15. We are going to deal in a few Sundays with John 15 verses 1 through 11 is a separate thing because it's so important. But let me just give you a running order here real quick. John 15, 12 through 17. He explains the whole idea. He bookends it with love one another. For those of you in hermeneutics class, this is an inclusio from verses 12 to 17. The idea of what it is to love one another. Extremely important. And he actually lets the disciples know, I have chosen you and I have appointed you for the purpose of bearing fruit so that your fruit would abide. And we see this unfolding in the church 
whenever they are called to step into that realm and begin this brand new entity. Verses 18 through 25 are all about the persecution that Christians will face. Let's read real quick. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Any of you just not felt loved? I don't feel loved. It's because you're in the world. And the world does not love you. And in order for the world to love you, you have to do worldly things so that you are accepted by them. So if you are not loved, it's okay. Why is that? Because here's the secret. They don't love Jesus either. That's the difference. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Now watch this. Because they do not know. Remember we talked about the world not seeing, knowing, receiving the Spirit. They do not know the One who sent me. Guess what? They don't know the Father either. They have no capacity to understand the Spirit. They don't know the Father, and they can't handle the Son. When God most clearly revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, they dismissed Him. He's a mystic. Well, He's just a good teacher. Well, I don't know. He was strange. Even the Pharisees, when they came in contact with Him in one debate, dispute they had, they said, well, we weren't born of fornication. Why was that? Because the Pharisees had no capacity to understand the virgin birth. They thought for sure that Mary had gone out somewhere and gotten pregnant and come back and said, well, it's the Son of God. It was hard for Joseph to understand, wasn't it? And notice that. He loved the Lord. So notice, it's even that much more difficult for those who do not know Him. Verse 22, and this is really interesting, guys. If I had not come and spoken to them, now think about what we saw in Matthew 12 and 13, the teachings on the kingdom, the Pharisees' response to the Messiah. Think about all those things. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, sin is probably not a good choice there for the English word. It's probably better translated as it is in the margin, guilt. In other words, if I wouldn't have revealed so much truth to them, their guilt would not have skyrocketed through the roof. But because they've come encounter with truth and they have denied the truth, their guilt is huge. He says here, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Notice, inseparable. Verse 25, but they have not done this to fulfill the word. That, sorry, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. And notice this is from Psalms, what they consider part of the law. They hated me without cause. Anybody ever talk to somebody that is just all ate up in how much they don't like Jesus? Anybody? 
You know a friend like that? Maybe it's your uncle. I don't know. Ask them sometimes. What did Jesus do that you're so mad? Was it that time that he healed those people that really ticked you off? Was it time that he fed all those hungry people that just really got your goat? Is that the problem? Was it when he raised Lazarus from the dead? I mean, you just really wanted Lazarus to stay dead. And what you find is the problem isn't with Jesus at all. The problem is actually what Jesus represents as a Savior because it condemns us as sinners. That's the problem. Why do I need a Savior? Because your sin is great. And there is no hope found in anywhere else. That's, get it guys, when you peel back the onion, I hate onions, when you peel back the onion, and I mean this for both the literal onion and the metaphorical onion, what you find is dirty, dirty, gross, gross. And it needs a desperate dose of Jesus. Don't start, don't you like onion rings? Don't start doing all that. But notice, because he's revealed it, their, their sin is great. They've hated him without cause. They have no cause. There's no reason for it. And then he brings us back around to the same word. The paraclete. When the helper comes, the advocate, the comforter, the one who stands beside, the one who's forever, who's not going to go anywhere, who's going to teach me all things, who is the spirit of truth and is going to bring to remembrance when I need it in order to engage this hostile world who does not see or understand or know him. Watch this. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, not any different from what we saw in 14.16, that is the spirit of truth, Still in alignment with the same person here. Who proceeds from the Father. Now let's camp there for a second. Everybody see this word proceeds? Everybody see it? The idea here is the fact that He leaves from within. That's what this Greek word actually means. It is the Spirit that leaves from within God in order to indwell you and I. Now I know that I'm hitting on that huge that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all one. But man, I promise you, we're still not going to get it when you're driving home. The Spirit is perfectly God, and He proceeds from the Father at the request of Jesus to make a home inside you and I. Notice it says here, He will testify about me. Major truth. The Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has got something to say, and everything that He has got to say has got the name Jesus wrapped in it. Now, just so we don't stop there and think that we're off the hook, look at verse 27. And you will testify also. And inside of us we go, Why? Jesus has got something for us to do. Jesus has got something for you and I to do. Look what he says. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Have you ever thought that maybe one of the greatest reasons why the church doesn't have a familiarity with the Holy Spirit is because we've wasted a lot of time not testifying to who Jesus is? Does everybody see that testifying about Christ is perfectly in line with the Holy Spirit? We're not talking about two separate testimonies. We're not talking about, well, the Holy Spirit's going to say His thing 
and then I'm going to say my thing, and then he's going to... This isn't like a trade-off tag team evangelism thing, okay? That's not what it is. It is that you are witnessing to the same thing because the Holy Spirit in you is witnessing of the same thing. And sometimes our disconnection from what it is to live a spiritual life, to live a revived life, to have that better attitude in the midst of persecution or opposition or whatever it is, just dealing with a bad time because your kid won't listen. Anybody tell where I've been at this week? But just in the midst of that, maybe it is because we're not testifying about Jesus. I can't let that go. Because when we've made the mistake to invite people to church, we somehow put forward that that was the most important thing. Guess what? It's not. What if we changed and invited them to Christ? And then invited them to church? I don't know if that would work. Can't the Spirit use you? If you trust Him with your salvation, can't you trust Him with everything else? If we're told that the Spirit of truth resides in us and He testifies about Christ and you have the willingness to open your mouth because you know this person in front of you is going to spend eternity in the lake of fire because they do not have life. You are talking to a dead person. If that is the case, isn't it worth it? Wayne Gretzky said 100% of the shots you don't take never go in. Think about that for a while. It'll come on you. You never score points for what you don't do. But if we have a God who loves us and who has said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And by the way, when you're keeping my commandments because of your love relationship, my Father's going to come in and He is going to love you so much. And then I will come in and I will love you so much. And by the way, we're pulling up the U-Haul and we're moving into your person now. And we're all hanging in there. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is no longer with you. He is now in you, and He is the Spirit of truth, and He wants to teach you, and He wants to bring to your remembrance what you need to say when you say it. And by the way, He's going to testify about the Son, and He's going to do it through your mouth. Spirit of God. God Himself. The One who hovered over the waters after the speaking forth of creation, is residing in the believer in Christ. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know Him? The Holy Spirit is the specially requested and divinely sent blessing of Jesus Christ to His followers for the purpose of leading them into all truth, aiding, comforting, and teaching them all things our father loves us so much that he has done nothing but give us the maximum opportunity for success well lord what am i going to say well guess what the holy spirit's going to say it through you well lord i mean how am i going to speak wasn't this moses's argument i don't talk good it's like you have mel tillis in front of him or something like, no, you do just fine. And I love it because God looked at him and said, Who made your mouth? 
Guys, I would hate to think that the only thing that we offer to God on a regular basis is excuses. I would like to think that we would be more compliant with what Romans calls us to do in offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Stop living for ourselves. Stop living for what we think that this life can give to us and realize that everything He has provided in us and for us can lead us to happiness like we've never known. Your world may be going to hell around you, and oftentimes it may be. If you are standing on the rock that is Christ, and if you are seeking to develop, to cultivate your love relationship with Him, the Spirit is going to ignite you. Exactly what He says, His very name's sake, to a place of comfort, to a place of help like you've never known before. It is one thing to be saved and have peace with God because of that in Jesus Christ. But it's another thing to drop everything else that we've been holding on to and to actually hold His hand for a change so that we can experience the peace of God in our lives. Does that make sense? You with me? Who's asleep? Father, we thank You for our time together in examining Your Word and what it has to say about the Spirit of truth. We may be sitting here this morning and we believe that there is a part of us that needs help with unbelief. I pray that we all have a clear conscience this morning answering the question, do we love Christ? Are we keeping His commandments? Do we desire for the Spirit of God to change us from the inside out? Forgive us if we're content. Forgive us if there's parts of our lives that we're trying to keep all to ourselves. Because we know that if we invite you to do something, you will do it. You are a loving Father. You always want more time with your kids. You always want to know our thoughts and our fears. And you have given us a helper just like Jesus to live in us, to be in us. Teach us so that we can be used to do God things. Father, I pray that the Spirit would leave us unsettled until we deal with this issue. Settle it no longer remain on the fringe of the body of Christ. But Father, I ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.